Welcome to Cardboard Box Games. I'm Adam. I'm Andrew. And I'm Adam. Today, we're going to be talking about how to prioritize must-answer creatures in your gameplay. Let's get started. Alright, in Keyforge, you know that the main thing to do in Keyforge is to gain enough amber to forge your three keys to unlock the treasure. We are not worrying about killing your opponent. We're worried about like getting to that treasure before anyone else. Maybe one day we'll actually learn what's in that vault. So Age of Ascension has really changed the dynamic of the game for me. I don't know if you guys feel the same way. I feel like there's a lot more creatures that just change the dynamic of the game. Yeah. So think about like the, the key imps. Um, Duskwitch is insanely powerful. And the Mars guys, that when you reap and stun your guy, Pip Pip also. The the Reaping Hate, Sir Maros, who captures all your thing. Like, yeah. there's just an enormous amount of, like, creatures that I feel like you have to deal with. And what I wanted to talk about today in this episode is how you prioritize that in your overall game plan. So, let's start by thinking about the the couple things that we want to... Let's just him put this the right way. The uh, three things to consider when you are about to play a must-answer creature. And I think the first one, Adam, is... Uh, when you play your creature and how much value you get from that. So mm -hmm. if you have like a succubus in your hand, you can just play it and expect them to go after it. Yeah, succubus is an example of a card that I think is so sort of like a minor annoyance more than anything. Right, like I don't know, I don't know. How do you guys play against succubus? When you have a succubus, when you have a succubus in your hand, how high do you prioritize getting that on the board? I don't think I prioritize that at all. Okay. At all? How about all? you, Andrew? No. Um, it depends on my hand. If I have like lots of dicks cards, and I'll just play it out. But I would somewhat want to play succubus just to annoy my opponent to try to kill it, so it slows my opponent down. Um, and then I think going back to the idea of value. That you were talking about. So you take you take a card like Succubus. It's probably going to live one or two turns, right? So you maybe the value you got out of it is you technically gave your opponent two chains and you force them to attack a creature. Where you look at a card like Duskwitch, who I feel like is the number one must answer creature. I have to agree, yeah. Maybe followed closely by Professor Sutterkin. Yeah. Kind of. Because yeah. they can just run away with the game pretty quickly. Um, there's also some other cards that I think... But you look at those and their value just explodes. You give them one turn in play and your opponent can start running away with the game. You guys kind of agree with that? I have to agree, yeah. So the, the second thing that I'd say you need to look at, and this is one that you know we were just sort of talking about, is the overall board state. So we've decided like how much value this card can provide if it stays in play. And now we're going to look at the board state. And for a good example of that is, can you protect this creature? Will this creature stay alive long enough to, to get value out of it? So a good example of that is like your one deck that you play, Andrew, where you just always have a ridiculous amount of creatures. And I play a card that's a must-answer creature. How scared are you of that or that? I mean, I'll try to kill it right away if it's, like, really bad to me. If, like, draw less cards, I can't have that at all. Yeah. So if I play a Duskwitch on you, how how high are you prioritizing killing that? 
I mean, I think Duck Switch is a good card. It depends on the opponent's deck. If they have, like, lots of creatures, I think it, you have to kill it. If they play lots of creatures on their turn, then I probably maybe not kill it. Maybe I have to... the next turn, two to three creatures they might play. I think it's good, but it depends on the state. So I have to strongly disagree with you. Duck Switch is an incredible card all around, even if they play a few creatures, because they come in ready. You can mm -hmm. fight with those creatures. You can reap with those creatures. You can do so many things with those creatures if they have actions and abilities. And if you can set up a game plan where you have like a Brobnar turn after a Dusk Witch with like Calphine and Bingle um, Bang Bang, Lala of the Titanic, and I've had Into the Fray come in with those and Grok, and like it is just so much fun. Like that card is just ridiculously powered, powerful. So I think that is the thing though that is like you're not going to play Dusk Witch in a situation. Unless you just need to dump your hand. Like, there are times you need to just dump your hand, and that that is absolutely fine. But if you're looking for a a strong turn to come back, and you want to set up, and you feel like you can set up a place to per maybe protect Duskwitch, and there's always direct damage. Absolutely always direct damage, and you can always consider that. But if there's a way that you can, like, look at the board state and say, like, based on the board, they cannot kill my Duskwitch. I'm going to play it now so that next turn, if I survive, if it survives, my turn is going to be ridiculous. And I think that's a pretty interesting dynamic there. Um, the third thing that we wanted to ask the question about is, like, how much does it change the overall strategy? You know, if you're going in and you're looking at your hand and you look at your board, you know, you just drew your Dusk Witch. Does that change what you were going to do before you drew that Dusk Witch? It does for me completely. Because if I only had Duskwitch in my hand, I, and I have rest of my hand full of creatures, I might just play Duskwitch, hoping that it'll survive for next turn for my next huge plan. Especially if you can put it by a creature like Shadow Self. Of course. Like, Shadow yeah, Self is, like, the best creature to put it by. Um, it can block damage, and it's basically a taunt guy. Yeah, it is, and, I mean, he has Elusive, so the Duskwitch itself has Elusive. And we've talked a lot about it, but anytime that you can protect, even, like, Professor Sutterkin or um, Pip Pip or any of those cards that just can annoy your opponents like it's super valuable so the the new topic that we want to the new idea we want to introduce and a, a lot of people probably already think about this is when you're prior, building your gameplay out and you're thinking about how you're playing cards you really want to look at best case scenario and worst case scenario so let's take we're going to call those the floor is the worst case scenario we're going to call the best case scenario the ceiling and they're, they're mathematical terms that you, if you were to go and look um, look up, like ceiling will round things up, floor will round things down. And it kind of applies really good here to these types of cards. So looking at your strategy overall, you're thinking, all right, I'm going to play Dusk Witch. Worst case scenario, it's just going to die. How much does that mess me up next turn? Like, was I solely depending on Dusk Witch staying alive to have a chance in this game? And the, the odds of that happening are fairly high in this game. Very high. So in that situation, you need to like weigh in, okay, if worst case scenario happens, where does that leave me? And then you need to, on the reverse side of that, look at like if best case scenario, what does that do for me? And I, the, the things that I look at is there are times that I'm behind in the game, and what I have to do is I have to shoot for the ceiling. I can't win the game with just normal floor level, like worst case scenario play. I have to take a chance at the best case scenario happening. 
So does that make sense, sort of, from the way you're, we're thinking about that? Yes, yeah. it does. So why don't we talk a little bit more about the value? Um, and Andrew, you talked a lot about Succubus and wanting to get it out on the board. So Succubus is a card that you said you kind of prioritized, depending. Yeah. Uh, why do you, like, what kind of value are you hoping to get out of Succubus? At least two to three turns. So two to three cards. So it's like a binding irons to you. Yeah. Something like that. But instead of binding irons, you can actually just kill it and stop the plus cards. So. And what about you, Adam? Like, what kind of value are you hoping when you put down a Succubus? I mean, I'm hoping for at least they lose one card, but usually whenever I play Succubus, they always kill it right away. Yeah. So you end up hitting the floor. Yeah. I would say Andrew seems to, like, aim for, like, the middle road. For me, what I'm looking at is, like, yeah, it's great when I make my opponent draw less cards. I love having that out. But what I'm looking for a lot of times is, like, with Succubus, I'm thinking about the value of it being on the board after many, many turns and making my opponent, like, have to answer it. So my favorite thing to do is to pair it with something like Binding Iron. So you drop them down to now four cards a turn for a couple turns. And then I figure out ways to, like, get extra value from that card. But I don't think Succubus is even in the top ten for must-answer creatures anymore. Yeah. I feel like it was in Call of the Archons, though. I have to agree with you there, yeah. Yeah. So when you're thinking about value, like Dusk Witch, the value you get from it is incredible depending on what you have in your hand. So if you have crazy creatures that can do some awesome stuff if they come into play ready, go for it. Like, that is an awesome turn, especially... There's no reason not to play it on turn one. I just can't think of a reason why you would not play a Duskwitch turn one. And it is the number one must-dance creature in my mind. Cards like Succubus and Pip-Pip and any card that makes your creatures, your enemy's creatures get stunned, those don't matter to play on turn one. There's no creatures for them to reap with. Of course, yeah. So what other creatures can you guys think of? Can you think of any that on turn one you want to see out? Professor Suckerskin. And then like a good hand of logos to back it up. Of course, yeah. Yeah. How about you? Is there any cards you look for in turn one? Um, well, Duck Switch. Duck Switch for sure. I like Mother. Mother is a good one. Yeah, Mother is a great. It's one. not a, like a crazy value card, but I love like playing Mother on first turn. So those are the value cards I look for. Um, and I'm also thinking like, are there are there any cards that you um, you feel like you shouldn't play on turn one? Is there anything that like that you should hang on to? It's, I'm trying to think of an example of this. Uh, for me, it's um, for me like the like Urchin and Ronnie and stuff like that. Yeah, that's yeah. kind of where I was going to. Is like those cards are ones that I just would rather not play on turn one. And I, I mean, actually, I would say you should Mulligan if that's your best play on turn one. You should <laughs> go for something better. Uh, so we've talked about value. Now we talked about board state. So let's go talk about board state. So with board state, how much are you valuing protecting a Dusk Witch? Like, let's say the board state is completely even. They have even creatures. You have even creatures. They have... Uh, so they have plenty of stuff to kill your stuff. Whatever needs to happen. You've got a board of, like, eight creatures, eight creatures. What do you do with the Dusk Witch in your hand at that point? Do you guys play it? I think I would still just play it for make them try to kill my guy and save some of my other guys on the board. Uh, I mean, it also depends what other untamed creatures I have on the board, yeah. what I have in my hand. But if I have, like, a good board of untamed, I probably would just call 
a team just to reap with a bunch of guys. And then play Duskwitch to try to put him in pressure. Yeah. I would try to clear his board because he might have um, creatures that might slow you down. Maybe he has those Kai's that when you reap, stun it. So I would just try to clear his board and then play Duck Switch. So then yes, yeah. little creatures, and you have lots of creatures, so your Duck Switch is less likely that's to die. A, that's an interesting approach, too. And I think both of those approaches, depending on the board state, can be the right decision. Because you just have to look at, like, if your creatures are little and you can't clear, or, you know, if you've got bigger creatures and you can maneuver the board state to be in your favor. The thing I, that I always think about is, like, um, say my opponent just went Brobnar. And I k kill a few of their other house. So I leave them with just Brobnar creatures on the house, on the board. And maybe try to take out one or two of them as well. So what I want to do is I want to play Dusk Witch, but leave them in a position where they have to call Brobnar again to be able yeah, to kill it. And it's an interesting dynamic, but that's the way my, my mind actually works is, okay, they just played four Brobnar cards. That was an amazing turn for them. I want to force them to go Brownar again. How can I do that? And that's what I start doing with board state when I start thinking about if I can play Untamed, wipe out a lot of their other creatures. I mean, you think about it, they need two of a, a house. So really, I just need to get them down to one of a house mm -hmm. to be able to kill Duskwitch. Um, it's different for other cards. For example, like if I have uh, Pip Pip, he's a pretty, he dies so quick. Professor Sutterkin dies really quick. So you really need to have them protected. Um, so really, they can't have any creatures in those cases. Or you got to have it by a taunt. And that, those are harder. But Duskwitch, I think, is a good example here. Uh, but I want to try to force them to go Brobnar. And even with something like Professor Sutterkin, I want to force them to go Brobnar as well. Because optimally for me is I want to make them deal with my creature. Maybe they don't. Maybe they make the decision to not. And that's good, too, because I get the value from it. But for them to have to deal with it, they have to pick a house that they have creatures on the board for, and hopefully no creatures in their hand. Does yeah. that seem like an interesting strategy? It seems like a perfect strategy from my point. Have you guys done stuff like that before? I mean, I feel like I've done it without really thinking about it. Yeah. I mean, do you understand what I'm saying? Because uh, I would just normally just play my cards down, and if they have creatures, I would usually sometimes just kill them if they're annoying. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But I wouldn't actually go that far into thinking about forcing them to play Bromnar going to kill my own Duskwitch. Yeah. <laughs> How about you, Andrew? Does that seem like an interesting strategy? I think that's a pretty interesting strategy indeed. I think it's smart to, to try to figure out what house they're going to have to choose next to try to deal with the board and all that. And I think that's all part of like the gameplay that we're talking about now is if you can play a must-answer creature and force your opponent to do something suboptimally, like, it puts you in a position that that creature died. Yeah, that's fine. But then you get the advantage. Yes. My favorite, and one of my favorite Sanctum cards is Barristan Joya. He's the guy that doesn't let your enemy reap. So mid-game, putting him in the board, protected, like, is just so painful for your opponent. Especially if they are a small creature deck. And I've had these small creature decks, like Untamed, Logos, and Shadows and not been able to do enough damage to kill that thing, and it drives me nuts playing against a card like that. So like thinking about the creatures they have on the board too is also super important. Yeah, and I, I ended up losing a tournament um, because of that card, because I literally, the most damage I could do was two, and I can't, just never could get like three of a house to sacrifice into that guy to get rid of him. It was brutal. 
so the um, the third thing is like your overall strategy. The one thing that I've seen a lot of people do is, you know, they go, they move down the, you've got to look at like what you normally would do, <clears throat> which in my mind is maximizing cards played with cards that get you value on the board and getting you close to six amber. So that's, that, that is my ultimate game plan. My game plan is like, can I put myself in an advantageous board state? Can I play cards from my hand and can I get the six amber? And there's a balance between all three of those things. And the reason that I try to do all three of those is there are sometimes I can't play any cards in my hand and that's okay. And there are cards that I sometimes can't like use my creatures on my board and that's okay. So, but ultimately and sometimes like I can't get the six amber and that's okay. So you just have to balance board states more important now playing cards is more important because I need this card in my deck. And sometimes you have a creature like Duskwitch that might change that strategy a little bit. And I think this is important to talk about because cards can actually, good, crazy cards can actually throw you off your game plan. And I don't always think it's a good thing to do that. I think you should, I think you have to just balance that in as an element of it. How would you guys prioritize? How do you guys prioritize your gameplay? Are you thinking same sort of things that I'm thinking? Or are you... Um, I have to totally agree with you. I think... Mostly, I try to get to six amber every turn and play my creatures down, protect my creatures, and if they have any enemy creatures that are messing with me, I try to kill them. Yeah. Uh, I usually, most of the time, play uh, the most cards in my hand. De well, it depends what my board is, though. Mm -hmm. But most of the time, I just try to play all the cards I can and try to make as much value as possible. Yeah, so you try to play cards, and then, like, there are time... And I think that's a good strategy overall. I think, especially when you're trying to get to certain cards in your deck. So say you have a Brig combo deck, which we've actually ran into, which is that Binate <clears throat> Rupture Interdimensional Graft. You know that you need that. So you need to dump your hand as quick as possible to get that combo going so you can steal a bunch of your opponent's leftover Amber, which yeah. is just incredible, by the way. I love that combo. It is, yeah. Painful to play against. Um, and I think it's just an interesting dynamic that I think I'll, it's very easy to overvalue must answer creatures, but then thinking about all three things, like how much value can I expect? What's the ceiling and floor of this? What's the current board state? And where does that, what will that leave me like next turn if things go bad? Where does that leave me if things go good? And how much does that throw me off my overall game plan? And then with that is like, you know, my game plan is always to try to get the six amber. That's personally my strategy is like, how can I leave the board in an advantageous state? And how can I get the six amber and make sure my next turn is good? And if that changes any of those dynamics for me, it's something that I got to really think about. But I, I do think there are times, especially when you are behind, that it is important to value like playing must answer creatures. And I think that is something that we'll have to like, really experiment more with, but I've actually been thinking about this a lot. Playing it, um, a must-answer creature can actually make your opponent do things that puts them a little bit behind, which can give you a slight advantage. Yeah. I don't know. Do you guys agree with that? I do agree with that. I also agree. It's good to slow down your opponent and make them choose houses that don't really work for them. So, Andrew, I think the next thing, let's let's talk about just for fun... Creatures that you would value highly in a hand, okay? 
So let's go round by round. So we've already talked about Duskwitch. So no Duskwitch. If you don't have one, you can pass and we'll hand it to someone else. Um, I'm going to say I feel like Sir Marrows is a creature that you feel like, especially turn three or later, is a creature that you need to answer. Sir Marrows is a card that captures all amber from your opponent reaping. Do you have one that you feel like is a card that you could potentially value higher when playing? I think the Grey Rider for me, because uh, usually for my Sanctum decks, I usually hold on to Sanctum cards, try to get way for them to play and ready and fight right away. And I love um, Grey Rider for that, because you can just play them anywhere on the board. Especially when you get play. two of them side by side, they go boom, 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 boom. I think Mother Becker. is a pretty good card to have. Mother is one? Mother is one that I just love getting on board because she's kind of like, I don't know, she's kind of innocent because like it gives you an extra card but doesn't affect your opponent. Mm -hmm. So I found that sometimes opponents don't care about Mother that much. And it I just helps you. So I think that's an interesting one. Um, let's see. We talked about Professor Sutterkin, and that card is just insane because if you can let them draw three or four extra cards on that, it's just mind-blowingly good another card is um another logos card is librarian um that titan librarian titan, yeah that card can get you some value too if you yeah. can get it in and that's another one that's kind of innocent because it like it doesn't mess with your opponent but just sits there and like builds I mean, you up value technically it can mess with your opponent oh yeah, it will eventually <laughs> yeah archive <laughs> like your miasma or whatever it definitely will eventually the thing about titan librarian that's a little bit a bummer is that you you archive at the end of your turn. But I've had two in play before, and I've built up a massive archive, and I love it so much. I had, like, all my Sanctum cards, like, archived. And in case you don't know exactly what it does, so once you, at the end of your turn, if he's not on a flank, you draw your hand back up to six, and, and then, then you, you archive. Yeah. People get confused by that whenever they play that. They don't know how it works exactly. Because the end of your turn is the end of your turn, so it's after everything else has happened. Of course. Um... Okay, so let's think of a couple other ones here. The one that I'm thinking about is the the Collector Worm. Ooh, yeah. How must deal with do you think Collector Worm? Like, playing Collector Worm on turn one to me is so much fun, especially if you have a Mars how, like, hand to back it up with, because they're not going to keep creatures for quite a while. What do you guys think of Collector Worm? I, it's an amazing card. Whenever I, I see Collector Worm on the other side, I'm like, I have to kill that creature. I can't yeah. let that live. You can't let it live at all. It gets, it's perfect board control with that guy and it's hard to kill exactly it that five, five armor, armor is ridiculously hard to kill that's insanely hard to kill uh you guys have any more must answer creatures that you would prioritize playing i mean the key imps at times yeah oh i love playing them <laughs> at times i mean sometimes it's kind of hard though to decide when to kill them because if you because there's if you both time. haven't forged that yeah. key. If you both are about to forge, yeah. whoever kills the key imp, the other person gets to forge ahead of time Yeah, yeah. possibly stop the other opponent. Yeah, that's actually something I don't like. But what I do like is I forge my second key. You're on check. I play my, my um, silver, silver yeah. key imp, and you can't forge, so you have to deal with that creature. That's the optimal gameplay. It rarely happens because you always get it at the wrong time. Or you're behind. If you're behind, it's worse. Because you don't want to make <clears throat> you don't want to make yourself not be able to forge. Yeah. Um, so there's the Tesmol was the other one I was thinking about, which is the disc guy that you reap with and you choose your the house your opponent cannot cannot play next turn. Yeah. And like that card's pretty good too. It is, yeah. 
So I kind of prioritize playing, getting that card down because you can get one or two streaks out of that guy. Super good. Super, super good. Uh, any other cards that you would prioritize pretty highly? That Mars guy for each of his neighbors plus two. Yes, Nizix, the Nizix guy. Resonator. Nizix Resonator. Yeah. Make your yeah. opponent's keys cost plus four, so plus takes ten amber for them to get the key, which is really powerful. It's really good. What about Drummer Knot? Does Drummer Knot? So like, I don't highly value unless, them, unless you have a bunch of good cards in your hand that goes with it. Unless yeah. they have um. Anger Chieftain, Juggernaut, or like that one card deal two damage to the flanks and just keep. Yeah, I'm sort of there with you because I'm. With Drummernaut, it's hard because you have to have other cards with it to make it good. Otherwise, it's just a dumb giant. But at the same time, like, let's say you're opening hand. If you have a Drummernaut and a Gengar Chieftain, you play Drummernaut turn one. That's pretty darn good. It is, yeah. yeah. Turn eight, there's a board. That becomes less valuable. You know what I mean? Like, you're not going to get that 6 Amber. I mean, you can get a bunch of kills off of it, maybe. Yeah, if if you can work out some combos against Elusive and, like, bouncing guys back to your hand. and But Drummer Not dies pretty quick. You can maybe kill three guys if you're lucky. But usually what you do is you take out two little ones and then a big one. That's kind of what, what I've seen myself do. I also put plus five power on Juggernaut. Yeah, when you have the uh, Blood of the Titans on it, it makes it a big difference. But either way, like I don't think Juggernaut changes my gameplay strategy too much when I'm thinking about playing cards. I yeah. think Pip Pip, Pip Pip really doesn't either. He's that one that stuns if you if your enemy reaps. Um, Groak doesn't. I'm trying to think. Is there any Brobnar cards that really change the way you think? War Tamer. Uh, Relentless Assault sometimes changes my. Uh, having relentless yeah. results in your hand, so not a creature, but having a uh, action. An action, yeah. If they have um, the buggy, the artifact buggy, buggy, and then have so many strong creatures on the play. Yeah, that does change your play. Which, by the way, Adam had a deck that has two of them, and it was ridiculous to play against because all the keys were like so expensive on my side, and I could barely make his keys possible. And I kept wiping his yeah. creatures. So yeah, I keep it was bad. That was a good deck. Um, yeah, I think that's pretty much it for me. Like, I'm sure there are other must answer creatures we're not thinking about right now, but overall, I believe, you know, the, the main thing, the main point of this video, just to sum it all up and bring it all back in is I think must answer creatures should be an element that you are considering when you're playing cards. You're in. I don't think it's a matter of like, just play your hand every time. I think it's a matter of like, think about the ceiling, think about the floor, think about if you're behind, think about the board state. And out of all those things, decide if playing that creature is going to give you a net advantage or not. And it's it's hard, and it's something that, you know, I think more times than not, you're going to want to play like you normally would. But there are times that I honestly do believe that making a, a play to set yourself up for a stronger next turn is actually better. Duskwitch is like the, the key one for that, in my opinion. Also, like Andrew was saying, like anything that lets you archive a bunch of stuff, those can be really good for that too. Especially um, with your two key adductions. <laughs> yeah, I did pull off two key. Yeah, to get off topic a little bit. Uh, on the same turn, I was able to do two key abductions and beat him the other, yesterday, which is awesome. Three owed me. Three owed because I had one key. Had a terrible. And, and <laughs> bought back back at an archive. 
and key abduction brought back all my Mars guys forged played another one forged again for like three amber and then four amber or four amber yeah three amber and then four amber you want me to tell them about the two decks i got in a row oh yeah the two seven playground decks. i got two seven playground decks back to back open i also got two disambassador decks back to back also that's awesome that's really awesome yeah we've been doing a box challenge so we're going to be uploading videos of those but we opened a box of age of ascension and each of us would open a deck and we'd play. The loser gets to open another deck. The winner moves on. And we played all the rounds to get the last standing deck. And we had two decks that actually won quite a few battles, but I was in the championship. I ended up getting defeated with a deck that was 3-0 before that. Yeah. So One we, of my decks went 4-0. We had the championship, we had the championship deck picked. Hunter Walmans, I believe. Yeah, we don't want to tell too much because if you guys end up watching it, but yeah. Anyway, we had some good rounds. We had some uh, trios. We had some double key abductions happen in there somewhere. Pretty fun stuff. One round is just crazy. Anyway, is there anything else you guys want to talk about about prioritizing must answer creatures in your game plan? I think we pretty much laid out all the base, cool. basic stuff for it. And I think next week what we're going to do is we're going to talk about playing against must answer creatures. How much does it change your gameplay strategy? How much does it affect like what you're going to be doing going forward um and you know it's really crazy because in my opinion like i felt like there are must must answer answer creatures and called the archons but with age of ascension there are absolutely must answer creatures now um i think the worst one was like that imp that makes you only play two cards a turn which i still value that one pretty highly mm-hmm. like that card needs to go if i can make <laughs> yeah. it go yeah uh and then there's uh, or that imp guy that makes you lose an amber the one that makes you lose an amber like little pesty things and uh i think that's gonna be it we'll wrap it up here and we'll see you guys next time keep gaming guys bye